Morning, church. So we are in 1 Corinthians 8 today, and this is, this is interesting because Paul really starting, we talked about this a little bit last week, that Paul starting with chapter 7 through most of chapter 11 is talking to us about practical advice. Like he's, he's just giving out some sound, solid, practical advice for Christian living. You're welcome. In verse, or in chapter 8, um, and some in chapter 9, and as we kind of move on, he starts to talk about things that we refer to as Christian liberties, or matters of conscience, things that become your personal conviction based on what you do. And, and chapter 8 is where he kind of begins some of those discussions. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to hear the word of the Lord. Let's, if you've got your Bible, like there we are. If not, it's on the screen. You can always follow along. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And if anyone imagines he knows something, he does not know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. And that there is no God but one. For although there, are, uh, there may be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you have knowledge not let me try verse 10 again. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak. You sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this time we have to be in your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would just kind of put me aside, uh, that you would speak to us through your word, that the words that you have have given here are, are prepped, um, glorify and edify you, that lift up the, the body of Christ, that we, we take a look at this and, and you speak to us and you convict us and you, you challenge us to think biblically about some of the things that we do in our lives. Father, I pray that as we go into this, this is kind of a, a little bit of a touchy subject in, in the idea that it's, it's about Christian liberty and personal conviction. And, and Father, I pray that you would remind us that as a body of believers, we can be unified and still have differences. And I pray, Lord, that you would just um, grow us closer to you through that. 
It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When we read 1 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, it's a passage that seems a little bit odd in the middle of October of 2021, right? Like, I, I don't know anybody who's going to be walking out of here and heading out towards their Logan, local pagan temple to go buy some meat from the, Logan, the local pagan temple's butcher shop, right? I, I don't see that that's taking place. I, I don't see that. We're, not anybody, anybody here going out to have dinner with some Zeus worshipers? No? It's still a little early? All right. You know, I mean, just saying... That it just seems odd to us, though, to kind of look at this passage and think that way. So we need a little bit of historical context to kind of understand what's happening here, right? What, what in the world is Paul talking about? So at the time, pagan temples had animal sacrifices, just like the temple in Jerusalem would have had animal sacrifices. These animals were being sacrificed to false gods. But within the pagan temples, depending upon which god it was and what kind of deity that particular god was only certain parts of the animals were sacrificed okay and so that meant that there was a lot of meat left over regularly well because this meat was left over the meat was often sold and offered to the public from these temples making the temples literally like a local butcher shop Depending upon what kind of meat you wanted, you could go to the local butcher shop and do it. Not only did they do that, the temples would then also set up banquet halls. And so trade guilds, social clubs, private family parties often used the dining halls and the temples for gatherings and for meals. And it was such a common occurrence that some within the Corinthian church were asking the question, is it Christian to eat that meat? Or they were asking that, can a Christian eat that meat that comes from these pagan temples? Now, we've seen with the Corinthian church, as we've, we've been diving into the book of 1 Corinthians here, that, that there were a lot of arguments that led to divisions within the church, right? And there was this exclusion and derision of members, there were some folks that we would, I guess, kind of consider elitists within the church, right? And these elitists, like they knew that this meat was just meat. There weren't any real pagan gods, so they were offering up this stuff to no one. So it doesn't really matter. Meat's meat is meat is meat. And so they would go ahead and eat it, right? But, but those folks were kind of kind of thinking along these lines. These people in the know about this issue were becoming puffed up and haughty. Hmm. Seems to be an issue within the Corinthian church altogether. Paul talks about people being puffed up and haughty a lot as we've been reading through here, that this was a problem. And what they happened to do is then they would stop treating those who were not in the know with any dignity, right? The knowledge they had about, about this pagan idol meat showed no love towards those who had a different opinion than them. They weren't giving them the dignity that they would deserve as individuals made in the image of God. And that's where we start to run into some major problems. And that's really what brings us to verse 3, right? And, and, and Paul says here, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And God knows those who belong to him and there's a close bond, right? God knows these people who belong to him. And there's this really close bond to 
belonging to God and sharing the love for God and love for your neighbor. Right? The Corinthian church did not show love for one another. And by not showing love for their, one another, they weren't showing love for their neighbors. And in this particular situation, they weren't showing love for God either. Right? So we, we don't just show love towards the people we agree with. I know it's really easy to show love towards the people we agree with. But we've got to show love toward people we disagree with because that's really what love would be. Like, I, I still am going to love you. Like, like Holy Spirit kind of love is going to let me love people that are maybe challenging to love at some times or they're just disagreeable people and that makes it hard to love them. But when we don't show love towards those that we disagree with and especially if that individual is a brother or sister in Christ, we're not really showing any love for God whatsoever. We're not showing love for those that he created in his image and not showing him love either. Right? Treating someone with dignity that, that comes from being, with being made in the image of God is, is how we show the love of God. Right? We, we have to... I just see like if we've looked at anything and we've seen anything as we've read through 1 Corinthians, it's that there's no place, no place in a, in a, in a Christian's life to mock, to make fun of, or to show any open disdain for someone you to disagree with. There's no room for that. It, it does not show the love of God and it harms your gospel witness to those who are lost. Verses 4 through 6, Paul here is, is asserting that these guys are correct, right? That, it's, that, that the idols aren't real gods, and, and there's only one God, and, and eating food offered to a non-real God is just food, right? But you're being jerks about it. It's kind of what Paul's getting at a little bit too, right? The, the God is the true creator, and he's the true creator of the animals that were offered up by the pagan priests. The pagan priests offered up something to a non-existent God, Therefore, the meat has nothing wrong with it. It's just meat. And if you were to go to the house of a friend whom you were witnessing to, and they offered you this for dinner, it would be no sin to eat. Okay? At this point, Paul's really kind of only concerned about the food itself. He's going to talk about the setting in which you eat it and a little bit later. Because he's going to have to talk about the folks who maybe don't have that kind of understanding yet. That's where we get to verses 7 and 8, right? That, that there are some within the church who have, who've come to Christ out of this kind of pagan worship. Pagans of the era genuinely feared the consequences of false gods. right? They feared what would be brought down on them for not worshiping them. I, I, have, I have grown up loving to watch a lot of those old... Roman and Greek myth movies with uh, Harry uh, Harryhausen that did all the stop motion animation stuff, and and you'd watch all those old monster movies like the original Jason and the Argonauts and and some of those, and, and I grew up loving them, and and the fear of all those folks, and this, these are stories about these same Roman gods that these and Greek gods that these these pagans in Corinth would have been worshiping. The the moment was is if I'm not offering up a, the appropriate worship response then something drastically tragic is going to happen to me right away. 
I don't get a second chance. There's no repentance amongst these gods. And so the people had a genuine fear of that. right? And, and there were people within the church who came out of that kind of worship. They came out of that kind of fear. And those people in the church would have struggled to place their trust solely in Jesus Christ instead of trying to also placate the other gods that they had grown up knowing and that they had used to worship. That would have been a struggle for them. So those that had this supposedly superior knowledge believed that they were perfectly okay to participate in dinners hosted at the pagan temples because they had some sort of special standing before God because they understood this biblically better. A friend of mine who served as a missionary in Eastern Africa told me this story one time about a, a young local pastor in training. He was not yet serving, but he was, he was a pastor in training, and he had a couple of elder pastors watching over him. And they were invited, and this is a big deal, they were invited to meet with some local go- or some government officials in the capital city. And that's a big deal if you're a, a small village or small city ministry group. And it was this lunch, and he was there with his mentor pastors, and as they walked around the compound, the older pastor noticed the younger pastor walking around with his cup of tea, and every once in a while he would tip it and spill. Now to us, that doesn't mean a whole lot, right? The older pastor, though, took the the young man aside and really rebuked him, like fairly harshly, because pouring his tea out was a known act to be part of the local pagan ancestor worship. Right? The young pastor had been saved out of that kind of lifestyle. He had been serving the Lord and working in it. But in the midst of seeing others who were still part of that lifestyle, the old ways that he grew up in came back to him, and they tempted him, and he he fell back into some old practices. He says, I'm not... not, I'm not trying to do anything. He like didn't really see anything wrong with what he was doing at first. He's like, it's just, it's just a habit. It's just, a, it's a, just an old tradition. I'm just fitting in with everybody around me. And the older, wiser pastor took him aside and said, but you're now known for Christ. That is now known to be a worship act of something other than Christ. You've got to guard yourself. You've got to guard yourself. And and I tell this story because it's easy for us to show that Christians can fall back into old patterns, right? It's also easy for us to understand that we try to justify what we're doing, just as, as that young man did. But the witness of Christ in our lives can become tarnished when we do things like that. It doesn't show that we trust Christ alone. Right? It's showing that, that we trust in Jesus, but we also want to rely on some of our old ways. That those ways might be better. Right? Certain members of the Corinthian church believe that, that they have the right or this Christian liberty to have meals in the pagan temples. But when their Christian liberties cause others to struggle spiritually, then they should refrain from that liberty for the spiritual well-being of the person whose conscience is weak. This Christian liberty has has done harm 
even possibly to the point of eternal destruction for the weaker brother. Right? Look at verse 11. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. That our Christian liberties can be, we have to be cautious in how we use them. And Paul sets an example for us. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Paul's not saying he's, he's, he's going to be a vegetarian, right? That's not what he's getting at here. What he's saying is, though, but if, if that particular thing, when I'm with a brother or sister in Christ, that particular thing is hard for them to grasp biblically. That thing, particular thing is, is hard for them to understand how a Christian can do that. Then why should I bother doing that? When we become a follower of Christ, we surrender our rights to Him. Let me say that again, because sometimes we don't get this. When we become a follower of Jesus Christ, we surrender our rights to Him. Even those certain unalienable rights are now His. Because He gives us true liberty. If using our liberty in Christ makes a brother or sister in Christ stumble, Lord help us if we don't surrender that liberty back to Jesus for the sake of others. See, the the idea of of Christian liberties is where we as a, a 21st century believer have to kind of begin this discussion about 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Right? We're not asking, is it Christian to eat food offered up to idols? Right? That's, that's just something we don't, we don't do here. But we might be asking some deeper questions. Maybe like, is it Christian to drink alcoholic beverages? Is it Christian to watch R-rated movies? Is it Christian to go to the casino or play the lottery? Is it Christian to attend a marriage we don't approve of, whether that's a same-sex union or a marriage of a couple that we know should probably not be getting married? Is it Christian to give money to certain charitable causes that when we look really deep into what they do, but they do this amount of good, but there may be this much, what do we do? Is it Christian to belong to a certain political party Is it Christian to like or follow certain things on social media and then to repost it? See, the world of of Christian liberties here is is broad and and become a very, very deep discussion very, very quickly. And as you grow deeper in the Word and as your personal convictions change because you're growing deeper into the Word, right? Right? Some of the things that you believe within your Christian liberties may change over time, and that's okay. There there are some things that we got to think about, though, as truths and takeaways from all of this, though. In this, the first thing we got to really kind of wrap our minds around is that the followers of Jesus all agree on foundational things of the faith according to the Word of God. 
right? We're not talking about brothers and sisters who don't agree on some certain foundational things, right? We're, we're talking about brothers and sisters. These, these would be secondary and tertiary issues within Scripture, secondary and tertiary issues within Christian life. We're not talking about foundational things, right? And this is huge to make sure that we're grounded on some foundational things. We already know that knowledge puffs up, right? Paul has said that here in chapter 8. But we also know that love builds up. And we know that there's only one God. Every one of us has been created by God for God. And we have been designed to walk with Him. We've been designed to enjoy Him. We've been designed to worship Him. But here's the thing. We've been designed that way, but we don't do that in every aspect of our lives. right? We've taken the things that He has created and have elevated many of them higher than Him. We wind up loving the created rather than the creator. And that's where sin is. That, that is just sin by definition, right? And because of our sin, we're separated from God. Not just here and now, but for all of eternity. The amazing news of the Scripture is that God loves us, and He came to us in person, in the person of Jesus Christ, right? And Jesus has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves, he has lived a sinless life, though he was tempted in every manner that we are, right? And still was able to keep from sin. He chose to die on the cross to pay for our sins and to, and, and to, and to atone the wrath of God, right? Of, of, especially for those who trust in him. Then he rose from the grave on the third day, showing victory over sin and death, right? So that anybody who places their trust in Jesus, anybody who places their trust in him, can have salvation from their sin. Now, that's the big foundation. If we're not on that foundation, nothing else works. None of this discussion about Christian liberties works if we're not all on that foundation. Now, if you've never done that, if you've never been a part of that foundation, if you're not on that foundation, if you have never surrendered your life over to Jesus Christ, if you've never placed your trust in Him, I'm telling you right now, I'm inviting you to do that. Do that now. If, if you're curious, you're just like, I get it, I'm not there, but I want to know more, that's awesome too. I, I would love to talk to you more about what that means. I'd love to talk to you about placing your faith in Jesus Christ, reach out to me, send me a Facebook message, however you're getting this information. Contact us. We want to talk to you about Jesus. And I share this at this point because any discussion about unity in the church, any discussion about differences of conviction, that is never about the foundational message of the gospel. If you deny Jesus as God, if you do not believe his death on the cross and you don't believe in his resurrection, if you believe that your good works will somehow earn you some spot in heaven rather than your faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, then you're not a follower of Jesus and you're not standing on that foundation you must stand on. Right? Scripture teaches, and we believe, God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord have transformed our lives and have made us new creatures for their own glory. We stand on that. Second, right, so that's the foundation. That's the first thing. We've got to have that foundation. Second thing here is that followers of Jesus 
often disagree on the application of that foundation. Right? We, we, we can disagree on the application of the foundation of the gospel to some specific situations according to personal biblical convictions. Now, that, that sounds a little weird. Sounds a little wordy. What does that mean? It means that we can have two Christians who both believe that there's one God, Jesus Christ is Lord, and he saves them from sin by faith, but they can disagree on some questions of Christian liberty. And that's okay. And those folks can even be within the same congregation. And it's still okay. Right? Someone who has been an alcoholic or someone who has come from an alcoholic home or someone who has had a relationship um, in, in some sort of alcoholic type relationship may see having a drink at dinner or at a restaurant with friends very differently than someone who has never experienced that. We can still agree on the foundations of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but, there's a, found, but there's, a, there's a disagreement about Christian liberty. And this becomes a spiritual battle for that individual. And we need to honor and respect some of that, right? There's going to be many areas of conviction of conscience where believers disagree. There are going to be some theological ones. There could be some medical ones, right? They, they could be some political ones. They could be some social ones. And all of this, we're told in verse 9, to do what? Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. See, we're called to care for one another through these disagreements, right? Not to change the other person's mind. We're not winning arguments. That's not what taking care of somebody else is, right? We are to take care of them and to be mindful that our freedoms should not stomp on the freedoms of others, especially those within our own churches, right? This is a call to be willing to humbly give up your freedom for the benefit of another saint in Christ. It goes back to verse 13. Therefore, food makes my brother stumble. I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Paul is so concerned about the other brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember back in Romans when he wrote us to, to, to outdo one another in esteem and honor, that we were to honor other people more than ourselves so much that we're to, we're to try to outdo one another in that? Paul's saying, I'll eat nothing but veggies. I'll give up all of those delicious roasted meats if it keeps another brother and sister in Christ from stumbling. It's a big example to set. We're called here, thirdly, to, to, to live humbly according to our convictions. And take this away with you today. right? That, that, that walk out of here knowing that God has called you to live humbly according to your convictions. At the beginning of this particular chapter, we saw members of the Corinthian church had become puffed up in knowledge. Right? Puffed up in their convictions. If you're not convicted the way I'm convicted about this particular issue, you're wrong. No, they have a different personal conviction. Right? And they began to lord those, per those convictions over people who didn't share them. Folks, that is not what we are called to do. Right? That, is, that is not it at all. Live by your convictions. Keep your sense of right and wrong. Just do it humbly. Don't be a jerk about it. Right? Like, I read chapter 8, and I read especially when I get into 
to like verses four through about nine. And it's just like Paul saying, stop being jerks. He's been saying it a lot throughout all of 1 Corinthians. right? But, but he's just like, come on, guys, quit it. Verse 2 says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. And that's, <laughs> whew. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know what he ought to know. I want that on a throw pillow. I want that on a throw pillow because it reminds us that none of us have figured this all out yet. Right? I, not you, not me, none of us have figured this out. And if you think you figured it out, you've got a very vivid imagination because we haven't figured it out. And Paul's saying that to himself as much as he's saying it to the Corinthian church. As a follower of Christ, we have to hold firmly to the truth of the gospel, right? That there's one God, his name is Jesus, he is Savior and Lord, salvation is a gift of grace by faith alone, and this is what we hold tightly to, that. We don't hold as tightly to our thoughts about what we eat and drink. We don't hold as tightly to our thoughts about what we do for recreation. We don't hold as tightly to our thoughts about young earth or old earth creation. We don't hold as tightly about how we think about end times and how that's all going to shake out. We don't hold as tightly to political positions or medical stances as we do the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I'm, I'm telling you, have well-informed, well-thought-out convictions. Live them. Live those convictions out and live them out well for others to see. But do it humbly. You don't have it all figured out. And this one crossed my mind, and maybe it was God convicting me, the Holy Spirit moving in me. But I, I, I know I don't have it all figured out, and there's a chance that I could very well be the weaker brother that Paul speaks about in verses 10 and 11 as could any of us in this room, any of us watching online. We could be that weaker brother. Keep that in mind as well. Fourth thing we kind of talked about here, we want to love humbly those who have different convictions. So what if someone has a different conviction about politics, end times, old earth, young earth creation, drinking and smoking than you do? You can humbly... Love them the same way, right? You are, you, are, you are called to humbly love them as fellow followers of Christ. These are all matters of conscience and conviction, not of biblical foundations. You are called at all times to build them up and keep them from stumbling. This is what God is calling you to today. As we approach these situations of, of conviction and conscience, we have to do so very, very humbly. And, and we need to ask ourselves some questions about, about them before we take any action. Right? First, and probably the most important question we can ask is, what does Scripture say? Right? When Scripture speaks clearly about a specific issue, align your convictions to scripture. If you're not aligning your convictions to scripture where it speaks clearly, that's sin. Right? 
When Scripture is not so clear, ask, what do my convictions say I should do? Now, this means how am I developing my convictions, right? I'm, I'm spending time in the Word of God. I'm, I'm spending time in prayer about that matter. I'm, I'm maybe even spent some time seeking out wise counsel from other believers, right? Men and women who've been through situations similar to this. I'm spending some time. I'm doing due diligence here to find out what I believe God would have me to do in that situation. When I get there, that's what I'm to do. Another question to ask, though, is what effect will this have on other Christians? I don't think we ask that enough. These last couple questions, I just don't know that we ask enough. Will my actions on a personal conviction cause others to stumble? Will my actions on a personal conviction build others up? Right? Christ died for these fellow believers who may have different convictions than I do. They're still church family members. They are still a part of the body of Jesus Christ, right? They're still part of that, that global congregation of, of worshipers. Again, remember what Paul wrote to the Roman church, that we are to, to outdo one another in honor. As we seek to honor Christ, we show him honor by giving honor to those he died to save. We've got to keep that in mind. The last question is another really important one we've got to ask is, what effect will this have on my gospel witness? How will those around me who know I'm a believer, even if they are not, see me after this decision? Will my witness for Jesus Christ still be credible? If you can genuinely say yes, proceed. Right? If there's a question about that, it's probably better to err on the side of safety. As we close today, and you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm gonna, I would love to talk to you about knowing him more. I would love that. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to spend some time this morning praying to God, asking him, do I live my convictions humbly? And do I show humble love to my brothers and sisters whose convictions are different than mine? And if not, God, change me so that I do. We, we have this time of invitation, time of call to action on Sundays. And, and if you're here in the building, this is a time for you to not just like sing along a final song. Like I, I get there's music playing and, and we have that going on. This is a time for you to, to do some business with God. If you're at home, watch it online. This is time for you to do some business with God. Right? If you're in the building, altar's always open. We don't always say that. We don't always make a big deal about it, but it's open. But we also believe that you can pray in your seats. You can pray with one another wherever you're at. This time is for you to do business with, with a holy and just God and to respond to the message you've heard today. Let's go to him in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you so much. Thank you so much for this time we've had to be in your word. I thank you that through time spent in the word, time spent studying, time spent digging in, you can lead us to personal convictions to help us follow you better, to live a life that glorifies and exalts you more. 
Father, I pray that as we see that there's differences, possibly in those moments of conscience or, or, or Christian liberties or differences of opinion that are not foundational gospel issues, that you through the Holy Spirit still provide unity among your people. I pray, Lord, for that kind of unity. I, I pray it here within this church. I pray it here throughout your global church. Fathers, we enter into this time of, of just quiet, reflective response to you. I pray you would continue to convict us. You'd continue to draw us close. You would, you would challenge us to think things through biblically in ways maybe we haven't before. 